Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. All right. How we doing? So let me, let me say this. I'm sad. Say, aw. I'm sad. I'm sad. This is it. This is my last time up here talking to you. Although it won't be my last time talking to you because we'll hang out. We'll chat. We'll chat. Give me a Come back next week. All right. Come back next week. Just, just live here. Just move here. Um, how about, all right, that's it. What we'll all do is we'll all just live here. We'll just never go home. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Pack it up. Never go home. Hey, I, I think I, I represented Adventure Camp this week. Where's my Adventure Camp peeps at? I know, I know there's some Adventure Camp ladies somewhere around here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There they are back there. Uh, yeah, I did the uh, the big swing. What do we call this thing? The giant swing. Did I? Yeah. I, I, I dabbed a little too hard on my way down. Almost came out of my harness, went sideways. And midway through, I was thinking, I did not sign a waiver. Oh, man. If I go flying out, who needs waivers? Um, yeah, so, but if I lived here, I would perfect... Um, the tires on the high ropes course. Oh man, them things will kick your butt. How many of you, how many of you feel like you've perfected the tires on the high ropes course? That's what I'm talking about. Fox, Fox is a tire expert. Yeah. All right. Listen up. We're going to go, we're going to be in Mark chapter nine. We're actually going to be in two chap, uh, two different places in the Bible tonight, but starting with me in Mark chapter nine, let me, let me talk to you about this. Um, I've had some crazy cool discussions with some of you over the past couple of nights. And, um, what I've, what I've learned is some of you had some pretty cool experiences with God this week. How about that? Yeah. All right. So there's this, uh, you know, there's this, um, I think the way my friend Mercedes put it is that God came clutch. He came in clutch this weekend. Week. Yeah. How many of you would be like, how many of you would be like, you know what? God came clutch. He was in clutch for me this week. Yeah. So there's this story. There's this story in the Old Testament about this guy named Moses. And Moses was tasked by God to go up on the mountain, this Mount Sinai, to go up on the mountain and meet with God, where God was going to come in clutch. And there, he was tasked with leading the people, and he meets in the presence of God, and he was given the Ten Commandments. And he comes down, and the scripture talks about this presence that was in Moses. Michelangelo, y'all know Michelangelo? Yeah, he's the Ninja Turtle with the orange band. Oh, sorry, not that Michelangelo. We're talking about the, the, the sculptor, the painter, Michelangelo. He actually sculpted this moment of Moses with the Ten Commandments coming down from Mount Sinai. Let's look at this picture. Boom. Moses is jacked. I mean, 
either those, I mean, he was, he was curling the Ten Commandments on the way down, those stone tablets. Moses is just like, I got this. Evidently, Michelangelo thought Moses was the man. But here's a crazy, here's a crazy cool story, a little history lesson for you. If you happen to go to Italy and see this sculpture, check out on top of Moses' head. He's got horns on his head. All right, so here's what happened. Moses goes up and he meets, he meets with God. God gives him the commandments. And it says in the Bible that he was radiating the glory of God. And that when the people came down, when he came down, the people were just like, oh my goodness. Like Moses is glowing with the glory of God. He met God. And so, I don't, know, I don't know if you know, the Bible was, has been translated in a few different languages, and then that's how we get it in English. But there was a time when the Bible was translated into Latin, known as the Vulgate. And somehow in, in, the, in the Hebrew to Latin, they mixed up this word glory for horns. And so when Michelangelo read the Bible, he was like, Moses had horns. And the people were scared of him because he met with God and he got horns. And so... I mean, for all of mankind history, the mistranslation of this passage is now a jacked Moses with the Ten Commandments, the best beard ever known to man. I mean, that's like Little Mermaid dad beard. Perfect. <laughs> and horns. You know, this is, uh, this is the real story is that Moses met with God. And he... On the mountain, God came in clutch. He bathed in the glory of God. He was so close to God. I mean, he loved every moment of it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, it says this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Here's what it's saying. And he met with God. He was up on this mountain. He met with God. The glory of God shone on him. It radiated off of him. But then as days passed, it began to fade. And as it began to fade, and he just went back to being normal Moses without his guns, he had to cover his face because he was ashamed. He didn't want people to know that he was losing the glory of God that was around him. What do you call this? Let's call this mountaintop syndrome. Mountaintop syndrome, where you meet with God, and then as days go by, things begin to fade. Let me give you some symptoms of mountaintop syndrome. How many of you have been to camp more than one time? All right, then you're familiar with mountaintop syndrome. Here's what happens. It's a big emotional experience once a year. Some of you twice a year. You, some of you four times a year. You just keep coming back. You can't get enough. It's the food, I think. You, you, is, you just get this big emotional sp- experience. Number two, is you, you feel like you can hear God so clearly at RVR. Like at Carroll County, Maryland, God speaks louder than anywhere else in the world, especially by the river. Like, you feel like, I can hear God so clearly here, but when I leave, I can't really hear him that well. It's part of mountaintop syndrome. Or how about this one? You make a commitment that you're going to do something, that you're going to read your Bible more. And you're good until, like, August rolls around. And sports and sports and school. And you're like, oh, man, I'm not reading my Bible that much. 
Or how about this one? You make close friends with people who are believers at camp. I mean, you're like, you're like, where else do you just sit and braid each other's hair? Where else, dudes, do you just stand on the side of a mountain and pull each other by, up by a rope while doing the f- wiggle from Fortnite? Like, do you do that at school? I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen a group of, of teenage males dance as much as I have this week. <laughs> You know, you, you, make, you make good friends, and then you go back, you get off the mountain, and you're like, you kind of go back to some friends that maybe you shouldn't be around. You're not bringing each other's air and dancing. <laughs> or how about this one? That desire to do what God wants, you're in, but it slowly fades. Or how about this one? You made a commitment that I'm going to go home, I've met with God, and he is, one of the things, one of the themes throughout the week has been, he's shown you his love, and so you made this commitment, I'm going to love people better, and then about 1.4 seconds after you get in the minivan with your parents, you get in a fight, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You, 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 you have to see your little brother, and you're like, I just want to punch him in the face, I, I just, so, listen, we call this mountain top syndrome. But here's the reality. You can't live on the mountain. You can't live at RVR. I mean, you can. Some of you, some of you have been stuck here for a while, Taco. But you can't, <laughs> you, you can't live here on the mountain for the rest of your life. There's a story in Mark chapter 9. I hope you're there. Mark chapter 9. Before we go to the... Before we go to the word of God, we go to the... All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Teach us. Help us understand how to be close to you all the time. Help us to see your plan as bigger than our plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what it says. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. So you see where this story's going. They're going up a mountain with Jesus. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is so good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for he was terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. What a crazy, crazy cool scene. Here's what happens. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And he says, you're going to see something today. You're going to see me for who I am. And it says he's transfigured. And basically what it means is they were able to catch a glimpse that Jesus is God. They saw him as more than just flesh, as just a human being. And they saw the glory of God in him and through him. 
And they also saw Elijah and Moses, and Peter didn't know what to do. But here's what Peter knew. I want to stay here forever. Because being in the presence of Jesus, being here with him, is better than anything I've ever had in this world. Some of you felt that way this week. Being here is better than anything I have at home. And so he says, um, I got an idea. Uh, Jesus, pick me. I got an idea. Let's put some tents here. Let's hang some hammocks out here. Let's chill on the mountain for a little while. We want to stay here. We want to worship you forever. And then suddenly interrupted by the voice of God as if Jesus didn't even have to answer the question. God himself speaks loudly and clearly. One of the number one things I've heard from most of you that have come to talk to me. You've heard God loudly and clearly this week. And I bet he said the same thing to you that he said to his disciples way back then. Jesus is my son. I'm well pleased with him. What he's done and what he's going to do for the world, I love it. What he's done for you, I love it. And then they pack up their bags and guess where they go? Back down the mountain. Here's the reality. Tomorrow you're going to pack up your bags and you're going to leave. Unless you're a counselor and then you're stuck for a few more weeks. You're going to leave. I'm just kidding. You're going to go home or go somewhere maybe that you don't want to go. And as a result of this, this can feel like a roller coaster ride. You ever been on a roller coaster? Yeah, man, you got your highs where you're like, I'm at camp. You got your lows where life stinks. You got the things that go up and down and you're like, I don't know if this is good or bad. I just want to puke. You have these moments and it feels like a roller coaster ride. And here's what you think. Here's what you think. Man, if I could just have this year round, if I could just pitch a tent and be here year round, if I could just have a little taco in a bottle that when I got sad, When my boyfriend dumped me, he could come out and sing reckless love and remind me that God loves me. Like, that's what I need. If I could just have Jeremy just follow me around and help me with life, and just like every time something goes wrong, he just reads a Bible verse to me. Like, that would be perfect. Or he could help me with math. He could be like, yeah, that's... uh, Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared plus C squared. Yeah, you could, have, you could have me just follow you around. Or you could have one of your counselors. I mean, they, they like just spend the night in your room like they do all week. And they could just navigate. And when the, you're, you're up too late on Instagram, when you should be asleep, they'll be like, put the phone down and get some rest. Go to sleep. Look, you think, here's what you think. If life could be just like camp... And I'd be good. The reality is you got to go home. The reality is Peter, James, and John had to walk down the mountain. And here's why. Here's why. Because God has a plan for you. And God had a plan for Peter, for James, and John. And more specifically, God had a plan for Jesus. He couldn't stay on the mountain because if he stayed on the mountain, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have life. He had a mission. 
He had a mission that he was called to, and he was called to go to. Here's what 1 Peter 1 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Some of you realize that this week. Because of his mercy, you've been born again. But not just born again. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, here's the reality of faith. It's not simply what you've been saved from but it's what you've been saved to. If Christianity is all about what I've been saved from, then hear me, there is no future. You're just talking about your past. Here's the deal. We left the past in the field, right? Some of you left the past in the field. You laid down guilt and shame, and you let Jesus nail it to the cross, and you walked away a new person. Here's what Peter says. You have been born again to a living hope. You got a hope in him. How do we do it? How do we live off the mountain? I'm going to give you a few things, and I want to read another passage to you. One of the things um, that we tell our people at church at Bedrock, I tell my people, is to live a life called bells. I think there'll be a slide. But here's some simple things you can do. Where you can, you can realize the presence of the Lord and live the way he's called you to live. But the first thing is every week, seek to bless somebody. You know, I'm sick and tired of old believers who sit in a pew and say they love Jesus, but they don't show it. They don't show people they love Jesus. You guys are the next generation of followers of Jesus. And it is your job to push and challenge those ahead of you, man, to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. You've been called to get off the mountain and go bless somebody. I don't know what that looks like, but get out there and bless somebody. Hey, how about this one? Go eat with somebody. I don't know about you, but we all eat, right, most of the time. Man, find somebody in your life, whether it's in the lunchroom or uh, after school or whatever, where you can build relationship with people who need it. You are hope to a dying world. You see, Peter, James, and John, they walked down the mountain and they went down to be hope to a world. And they would take food and they would eat with people and they would build relationships with people. That was the whole book of Acts. Go eat with somebody. Have a conversation. Talk about the Lord. How about this one? The L, the, um, L in bells is this. Learn about Jesus. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, read your Bible all the way through. Have you a reading plan? I'm not going to tell you you need to read the Bible 30 minutes a day because if you know me after a week, I'm not really big on rules. But here's what I think you should be doing. I think you should be taking time each week to learn about Jesus. For some of you, you say, and I've talked to you this week, the Bible's hard. Man, read the parts where it talks about Jesus. Learn about who he is, what he's done for you, how he wants you to live. The fourth one is another L, listen. Take time just to listen to God. Be still before him. You may not have a river in your backyard, and it may be hard to find a quiet place in your house, but find a place where you can just sit and listen to God. It's a discipline. Let's be honest. It's a discipline to be quiet and not talk and not do anything and not pull out your phone and not write anything down, but to sit and just let God speak. 
I think the more you do it, the louder he'll get. And then the last one is to go share. This is not like go like give the whole, some of you are like, man, I'm not a preacher. Some of you need to go home and tell other people what Jesus has done for you. Just go tell somebody. Man, I was at camp. It's a cool camp, RVR, and their speaker, he was amazing. Like, he's the coolest dude on the planet. No, no, I'm just kidding. You go, go tell somebody what Jesus has done for you this week. Just a few things to kind of combat mountaintop syndrome. But here's the reality. It's not about what we've just simply been saved from. It's about what we've been saved to. Go with me. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We're going to walk through a few things tonight. I want you to see the future. I changed my entire message for tonight to this after talking with a few of you. Because I feel like a few of you just need some hope. A few of you just need to know how it's all going to end. And I love, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because here's what it reminds me. If you don't get anything else all week, it reminds me this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, remember that, that loud voice. Same one that spoke to Peter, James, and John. It says this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things they've passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, For the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's the first thing I want you to get tonight. Jesus is coming back. We have this great hope that one day Jesus is coming back. Remember we talked about this, that Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has written eternity on your hearts. God has written this concept of never ending eternity on your hearts. One of the things I want you to see here though, how many of you, when you've thought of heaven, you just kind of thought of like this out there place in the clouds, and maybe there's some harps and some angels, and that's kind of been your concept of heaven. I want you to see this cool picture of Revelation 21. I struggled with this for years at your age. Because I thought, what's the point of life? What's the point of all of this? Is this just like some failed experiment? Where we were made and it got all broken and so one day we just got to go to another place? Let me put it to you this way. 
For the longest time, I believed that death was my rescuer. That I believed that the, the greatest thing that could happen to you if you followed Jesus was that you could die and then you could go to this other place called heaven. And then I read Revelation 21. You see, death is not your rescuer. Some of you, I've talked to you, some of you need to hear that. Death is not rescue. You are never meant to taste it. You are never meant to know it. You are meant to live for eternity. And here's the picture. Back in the beginning, when it was all made, it was made perfect. It was made with God's presence, with man, dwelling with man. And in the end, in Revelation 21, in verse 3, it says this. One day, when Jesus comes back, the dwelling place of God will be with man. You see, what's going to happen is God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. What he's going to do is he's going to restore this entire earth. And the barrier that separates heaven and earth will be no more. And the dwelling place of God will be with us. And he'll be with us forever. The way it was always meant to be. That he would come and he would be with us. It says that the sea that separates heaven and earth will be no more. There's no more separation of the dwelling place of God and man, but that he will be your God. Does that give you hope? That for eternity, the God whom you've heard loves you so much will be with you. Always. He will be your strength. He will be your God. Here's what it says in Revelation 7 and verse 17. It says, as for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That your life for eternity will be a mountaintop experience where God will be with you forever and guide you. It says this in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They'll need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here's the big key. The restoration of God comes with his presence. The way things get restored is when God shows up. And the promise of the Bible is that God will show up forever, and he'll fix everything. Jesus is coming back, but not only is he coming back, it says this, that he'll remove the old. How many of you, how many of you, you, you kind of admittedly are a crier? You cry. That's my man, Grayson. He's a cry. How many of you, you're like, I'm a sympathetic crier. Somebody else starts crying, and you just like, it just, it just turns on. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, no, start crying. No, start crying. I can feel it. You know, you ever thought about, you ever thought about tears? Some of you are too manly to admit you're a crier. That's all right. Look, you ever thought about tears? Tears are, tears are just an outward display of an inward emotion, right? It's almost like when the emotion cannot be contained anymore, it comes out physically, comes out in tears. Now, sometimes these come out when you're happy. It's like you can't contain the happiness and the joy anymore, so tears come out. But more often than not, they come out because of pain or heartache or a sappy movie. They, they come out... <laughs> 
They come out because you cannot contain the heartache that's there, the pain that's there. And so they flow. Here's what I love, Psalm 56, 8. Here's what it says. You, God, have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Check this out. This is crazy. This is how big God is, but also how personal God is. It says this, every tear you've ever cried, every pain you've ever experienced that welled up into tears, God has kept that in his bottle. He knows every one of them. He has them written down in a book. He knows them. And when it says here in Revelation 21, when Jesus comes back, when the kingdom is restored and there's a new heaven and earth, it says he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I want you to catch the language. It doesn't simply say that you'll never cry again. It says that the God, God himself will wipe away the tears from your eyes. Check this out. My daughter, Elle, she's my third daughter. She's our daredevil. One night she decided she was going to take her bicycle down the steepest hill in the neighborhood. But something happened and she had to hop on a smaller bicycle that didn't have the right brakes. And so she starts going down the hill and she is rolling down this hill. I mean, flying. So fast that the front tire starts wobbling. Y'all know that. Any of y'all bike? You know what happens when the front tire starts wobbling. There is no recovering from a front tire wobble down a hill. She wobbled right over the handlebars. And here's what happened. She didn't know what to do. And she knew she didn't want to start tumbling. So she reached out both hands and both feet going down the hill. And she slid the whole way down. She had no more fingerprints. I mean, her toes were all... And they come running to the house. And she is just... Her hands are bleeding. And we sit her in a chair. And I'm sitting there with a pair of tweezers picking out asphalt out of her hands. And tears are just rolling down her face. And once I get all that cleaned up, and I get the Neosporin, and I get all that cleaned up, you know what, you know what I do as dad? I can't, I can't stop the tears, and I can't stop the pain. I can't. But I reach out, and I grab her face, and I just wipe the tears off her cheeks. There's just something about somebody coming up when you're crying and just wiping the tears away. Just putting their hand on your face and saying, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And I'm wiping her tears away. and I'm giving her a hug and I'm like, it's going to be okay. You have all your fingers. We're good. It will heal. It's going to be okay. Here's what it says in Revelation 21. That God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Here's the thing you need to know about God. He knows that life hurts. He knows that this is broken. And His promise, His promise to you and the hope you have in Jesus Christ, no matter how hard it gets off the mountain, no matter how hard it gets in the valleys, no matter how hard it gets at home, no matter when you just think you can't go on anymore, here's His promise. I know about it. I've kept record of it. And one day, I'm going to touch your face and I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And it'll be no more. No more pain. 
It says no more tears, no more mourning. We mourn when we lose. There'll be no more loss, no more suffering. And our joy will be in the presence of the Lord. Man, what a cool picture of God getting rid of the old, where there is no more pain, suffering, death, loss. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 19. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, this pain we're experiencing now, here's what it's preparing us for, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that we see are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's going to be your challenge when you get off the mountain. You're going to experience heartache. You're going to experience pain. People are going to let you down. And the temptation is going to be, God, you're not in the clutch. You're not here. But the challenge of 2 Corinthians is this. This world is so small compared to this great weight of glory of us meeting God face to face and being with him forever. To live with him in his presence forever. Man, what a cool picture. God, Jesus will, man, he'll get rid of the old, but the last thing, and then we'll close with this. He's going to make all things new. What he says in Revelation 21 is, Behold, I am making all things new. I love this. I read this quote one time, and I just loved it, from Joseph A. Sice. He says this, The new earth will be an earth which no longer smarts and smokes under the curse of sin. It will be an earth which needs no more to be torn with hooks and irons to make it yield its fruits. It will be an earth where thorns and thistles no longer infest the ground, nor serpents hiss among the flowers, nor savage beasts lay in ambush to devour. It will be an earth whose sod is never cut with graves, whose soil is never moistened with tears or saturated with human blood whose fields are never blasted with unprofitous seasons, whose atmospheres never give wings to the seeds of plagues and death, whose ways are never lined with funeral processions or blocked up with armed men on their way to war. It will be an earth whose hills ever flow with salvation, whose valleys know only of the sweetness of Jehovah's smiles, an earth from end to end and from center to utmost verge, clothed with the eternal blessedness of paradise restored. A cool picture. You see, the promise is this is not a failed experiment. The promise that God says is, behold, I will make all things new. He doesn't say I'll make all new things. We'll just make this new place called heaven and you go to that. He says, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to fix everything that was broken in this world when sin entered this world. And when I fix this brokenness, When I make it new, it will be no longer filled with all the things that bring brokenness into your life. You see, this promise is a promise that the old things will pass away. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's a picture of what Jesus has done in a lot of your lives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And what a cool picture. Some of you have been made new in Jesus. You see, your identity now is not found in spiritual progress or working and trying harder, being better. 
your identity is found in Jesus. And you're going to go home and Satan's going to lie to you and he's going to tell you this was worthless. This didn't mean anything. He's going to tell you you're worthless. Your world's falling apart. You can't do it anymore. And Paul concludes his argument in Romans that we've been walking through. He concludes his argument with this verse. And I love it. I want you to take it. I want you to seize it. He says this in Romans 8. There is there now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. You have been set free. Let's close with this. I want you to say this with me. There is nothing I have done. Say it with me. There is nothing I have done. And there is nothing I will ever do that will separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. See, who you are now, a new creation, is because of Jesus. Not because of anything you've done. And he loves you so much that he promises one day he's coming back. He's going to fix it all. And you'll be with him forever on a mountaintop in his presence always. But while you're here, while you're here, let's go change the world with the gospel of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the great hope we have in you. You are king. You are good. We long for the day to be with you, but while we're here, use us. Let's go change your world. Let's go show people goodness and grace and mercy to live like we will live forever, walking with you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. This is in his name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.